0: Two boys were playing basketball in Kentucky when one of the boys was attacked by a rabid Rottweiler. Thinking quickly, the the other boy ripped a board off of a nearby fence, wedged it down the dog's collar, and twisted as hard as he could, and the dangerous dog's neck was broken before he could bite the other boy. The Lexington Herald-Leader reporter saw the incident take place and rushed over to interview the heroic boy. And he got out his, his notepad and wrote, Young Wildcat fan saves friend from vicious animal. The boy said, but I, I'm not a Kentucky Wildcat fan. Sorry, that reporter replied. We're, we're in Kentucky. I just assumed that you were a Wildcat fan. So the reporter started to write again. Louisville Cardinal fan rescues friend from terrible attack. And The boy looked at the pad and said, I'm not a Louisville fan either. And the reporter stared at him and explained, I I assume that everyone in the state of Kentucky was either for the Wildcats or or for the Cardinals. What team do you root for? The boy said proudly, I'm a Tennessee volunteer fan. The reporter took out a, a new sheet on his notebook and he wrote, Little redneck hoodlum kills faithful family pet. We have many varying sports allegiances. On a game day Sunday here at church, you may see a Bengals jersey, a Colt jersey. We even have those that wear an occasional Steelers or Chiefs uniform. It's true. So today's topic, I will promote unity in my church, which was planned out months in advance. I think is especially timely for us today as a church, and and it's relevant in our culture at a time when our country is in need of unity as a nation. Ephesians chapter 4 teaches that we can have unity in the church body in spite of our diversity, having differing members of that church body. And so that's what we want to learn about today, and I want you to understand that Unity is Christ's desire, and it's our decision. We all need this teaching. Conflict comes into our lives with our spouses, coworkers, neighbors, relatives. And so as we begin this message, I'd like you to bow your head right now and then just pray this simple prayer. Lord, speak to me. So today, unity for this church, universal, is Christ's desire. That's what he wants. This isn't some new development for the church. Christ's desire has always been to have unity in the body. Uh, consider that this premise. Some scholars believe that the, the predicament of human sin fragmented the Godhead or the Trinity. And this disunity caused by man's sin contributed to the division of our one God into the concept of a trinity or a triune God. We serve one God who exists in in three personalities, roles, functions as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When the human race fell into disobedience from the Father, the Father sent his Son to earth to reclaim us, and his Spirit abides with us until the day that we are all united in heaven on the night he was betrayed in the garden of gethsemane only hours before his torturous crucifixion we have recorded jesus's prayer and it was a prayer for unity among his followers in john 17 in the garden we read about how he prayed for the disciples and And then Jesus expanded the scope of his prayers to encompass you and me. Listen, beginning in John 17, verse 20. Picture Jesus kneeling, sweating drops like blood as, as, as he was pouring out his heart to his Father. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. The Lord's prayer was that all Christ followers would strive for unity. If pride, brashness, impatience, irritability, and contention in the church Produce discord, drama, and division. What diffuses division? And here's the antidote to provide unity. The, the Apostle Paul fleshes out to teach us how to accomplish that goal of getting along with others in the church. And he's writing from a prison cell in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. This is what he commanded. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. To keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. As, As Romans 12, 18 puts it, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And that command is you do your part to get along with others. You can't control the actions or choices of others, but you can do your part insofar as it is possible Uh, live at peace with everyone and so this unity was Christ's desire that's the first truth that that we need to see today the, the second truth is that unity is our duty Jesus prayed to his father and asked for this but it depends on our response whether his prayer is is answered positively or or not James, the half-brother of Jesus, identified what causes conflict in life, at, at work, in, in families, in, in churches. He writes in James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, he goes on, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? So what causes fighting and quarreling among you? James answers that question. Um, and so let me ask you a rhetorical question. Don't, don't feel the need to answer, but do you fight and quarrel? Husbands and wives, do you ever wonder why there are times when you just can't seem to get along? You love each other to death, and sometimes the emphasis is on love, and other times the emphasis is, is on death. And parents and children, do you ever wonder why at times you have such major blow-ups over such minor issues? Why there's this tension at home? Why is there tension at school? Why there's tension at work? Why there's tension with friends? Why there's tension with in-laws? We can be like the, the golfer who was ready to tee off uh, for the 18th hole. And he explained to his buddy, I'm anxious to make this shot. My, my mother-in-law... Uh, is there on the the clubhouse porch. His buddy responded, that's 250 yards, you'll never hit her from here. (laughs) Well, in verse 1, James says, you argue because of conflicting desires. You want different things. And he points out for us the basic desires that we all have. These are God-given desires, good desires that are not a problem until we allow them to get out of control. Church growth expert Lyle Schaller has done a lot of research, and from his studies, he's determined that the average lifespan of an American church is that it lasts for 60 years. Most churches, by that time, they have have taken off, they've kind of hit their peak, they've plateaued, they've declined until their demise. And so most churches have run the course of their effectiveness after six decades, and then they close the doors. Our church is in its 54th year, and Satan wants to impede our progress. He doesn't want us to go forward in in unity effectively. And James warns, you kill and covet because you can't have what you want. Coveting is wanting what someone else has, what, what is forbidden in the Ten Commandments. It's what caused Israel all kinds of grief in the Old Testament. God was leading their country, but all the neighboring countries around them had a king. And so they wanted a king. And God said, well, I, I'm kind of functioning as your king. You, you have a king. I, I'm your king. They said, "No, everyone else has a you know a physical king. We'd like a, a monarch. We'd like to have a king." And so, God gave them what they wanted, and it caused a lot of a lot of trouble. Sometimes we attack each other over what we want. It, it even happens in churches, and the issues change, but insistence on having our preferences can cause fighting within churches over what we want, instead of fighting together against Satan over what God wants. It's not wrong to have preferences, but when what we want to have interferes with God's work for the church, then it's wrong. It's sin. Your child wants to eat at McDonald's, and you want to go eat anywhere where they don't give toys away with the meals. Someone's too hot in church. Someone's too cold. We're more interested in our pleasure than, than others. And it can cause arguments. And so listen to this solution. The, the best way to keep from stepping on another's toe is to put yourself in the other person's shoes. This desire that speaks to our pride or, or yearning for prominence is, is what Frank Sinatra summed up in his best-known signature song, I Did It My Way. I read about Victor Roizo, a, a struggling artist in Spain, and he wanted to get noticed as an artist. And he wanted to get attention. He, he was motivated by the wrong kind of pride. So, he went into the, the Prado Museum, and next to a, a painting by Rembrandt, he superglued one of his own paintings up there on the wall so that people would see it when they were looking at the, the Rembrandt, and hopefully they would think he's a great artist and, and, and buy his paintings. And he said he did this because he, quote, wanted to be somebody, And his painting hung there for four days before anyone noticed how much he wanted to be recognized. That's what Proverbs 13.10 talks about. Where there is strife, there is pride. And James says that pride interferes with our prayers. There in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do so with the wrong motives. And So even the lack of prayer can be an act of of pride because we're failing to recognize our dependence on God. Pride doesn't just cause problems with with other people horizontally, but it causes problems between us and God vertically. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Our our church mission is to love God, love people, impact the world. That's threatening. That that poses a threat to the devil's domain of darkness. The the progress that we've accomplished in helping take people away from his control causes our adversary, Satan, to, to push back when a church is progressive progressing and advancing it is spiritual warfare jim of the the brooklyn tabernacle tells in his book fresh wind fresh fire he said one sunday about 20 years ago back in our days when we met in the ywca i said something impromptu while receiving members into the church that has stuck with us ever since people were standing in a row across the front before me And as I spoke, the Holy Spirit seemed to prompt me to add, and now I charge you as pastor of this church that if you ever hear another member speak an unkind word of criticism or slander against anyone, myself, another pastor, an usher, a choir member, anyone else, you have authority to stop that person in mid-sentence and say, excuse me, who hurt you? Who ignored you? Who slighted you? Was it Pastor Simbola? Let's go to his office right now. He will get on his knees and apologize to you, and then we'll pray together so that God can restore peace to this body. But we will not let you talk critically about people who are not present to defend themselves. And Symbolus said, new members, please understand that I am entirely serious about this. I want to help you resolve this kind of thing immediately. And meanwhile, know this, if you're ever the one doing the loose talking, we will confront you. He concludes that this, this very day, every time we receive new members, I say much the same thing. It is always a solemn moment. That's because I know that what most easily destroys churches is not cracked cocaine, it's not government oppression, it's not even the lack of funds. Rather, it is gossip and slander that grieve the Holy Spirit. And people nod their heads with understanding. And as a result, rumor and busybody talk are kept to a minimum, end quote. You know, Satan realizes the oldest military tactic in the book is divide and conquer. During World War II, General Dwight Eisenhower sat staring at the faces of the allied commanders who were seated around a conference table. He had just unfolded a plan for the invasion of, of Europe. If they succeeded, then America and our allies would win the war. If they failed, then Adolf Hitler would rule the world. And Eisenhower panned the room filled with such a diversity of backgrounds, ideas, large egos. And finally, Eisenhower broke the silence with these words Men, it's one team or we lose today i would challenge you if we are to fulfill our mission at Batesville Christian Church then men and women it's one team or we lose for the cause of Christ our efforts will only be productive when we exercise the synergy of working together as a team the name we bear is the name of Christ As Christ followers, we represent him for good or for bad by our actions. We are called to be distinctive, holy, set apart, different from the people of the world. We bear the name Batesville Christian Church, and with that connection, there comes a solemn responsibility. Your actions are either drawing people to Jesus Or they're driving people away from Jesus. People know who Jesus is and they know where you go to church. Do they see him reflected in your lifestyle or are they receiving conflicting signals? We have a responsibility to represent Jesus by our behavior. BCC is not a collection of sinless people who have perfect lives. Our church is a place where we can find deliverance from past mistakes and, and find hope for the future. We consistently stand on the truth of God's word while at the same time we endeavor to extend the, the grace of God, who is the God of the second chance, and, and to demonstrate the heart. Of God. And so you are either a grace extender or or a grace extinguisher. So we've all seen these before. We know what this is for. Uh, A fire extinguisher is used to douse the flames, it's to put out the blaze, it's to prevent its spreading, it's to quench the fire. And sometimes we who in the church can extinguish the Holy Spirit's efforts to extend grace to those who are looking for God. Division can douse the flame that has been fanned. Legalism can put out the flame. Preference can prevent its spread. Clickishness can quench the work of the Holy Spirit. I want to read an example I received years ago when I was serving in another church in response to the the welcome letter that was sent out, the the guest survey. And this woman wrote about her, her visit to our church at that time. And one of the questions is, did anyone welcome you or assist you? And she said, one very kind lady took the time and made the effort to find the classrooms for our children and and directed us to their location. She said, another lady was very vocal to let us know that we had taken her seat. I felt like crying. I felt like leaving. I would have gladly moved, but the service was in progress and I couldn't get the rest of my family to understand. Realizing how Satan works, I simply prayed for her instead. But I feel it might be helpful for you to communicate to others how very unwelcome this makes people feel. Do you realize that our, our words and actions have that same effect as, as a fire extinguisher? Are you being used by God to be a grace extender to protect unity? Or are you being used as a grace extinguisher to promote division. Listen to Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Are you being used by God to be a grace extender or are you being a grace extinguisher? Which are you? I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And at the end of of each of these chapters in the book that we're using, I Am a Church Member by Tom Rayner, there's a pledge. After reading that chapter, he challenges us to commit to that level of involvement. And so, As the praise team comes forward right now, we'll go ahead and I'm going to read this brief pledge to you and then we'll sing. The pledge says, I will seek to be a source of unity in my church. I know there are no perfect pastors, staff, or other church members, but neither am I. I will not be a source of gossip or dissension. One of the greatest contributions I can make is to do all I can in God's power to help keep the church in unity for the sake of the gospel. And then in the book, it has a place to sign it and date it. My invitation to you is when you go home today, if you haven't read that chapter, read that. And when you finish that chapter... Put your name on that, and let today be a line in the sand going forward to promote unity in Christ's church. Let's sing.